You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. God speaks to us. Is there an amen on that? And sometimes he gives folks in the congregation something to say to the congregation. And we want to make sure that whatever that is, it, it's, it's reaching the congregation. That's why you receive that text usually around Tuesday saying if you were touched during this, this, the, the gathering one Sunday, if you were healed especially, or if you receive something, please respond to the text. We want to hear what God is speaking to you, the body. And so I want to begin today by giving a few people opportunity to just share briefly, share quickly, say what you have to say, but be to the point of some things that happened last week. So first, if my wife will come up. And she wants to share a vision that she received as we gathered together last week. Well, I have to confess, I was going to come up and draw it, but when I knew that Deb was coming up to draw, <laughs> I felt a little bit timid. <laughs> I've seen her drawings. Um, I drew it on my bulletin, actually. So it was during the one song, um, my fa The Father's House. Your Father's House? Your Father's House. And we had been, Sonny had said something about us going out and this you know our responsibility is to reach the unlost the lost and and you know lead them to the lord and so my vision entailed god covering the church with protection so i have a i in my mind i saw a picture of our church and just angel wings covering us covering us with his protection so that we feel comfortable going out so that we feel safe going out so that we can witness to those who need him. Thanks, Deb. Next, I'd like Becky to come up. She also received a vision last week during the service. I'm a little taller than Deb. Um, so it was during the song. I don't know which song it was. Um, and it was a real short, just a quick thing, and I wasn't even sure if I was going to share today. I told how it really wasn't. And then when I went back to my seat, I, it, something just came in my spirit, and it was sort of cool. So what I saw was a rain cloud, and the rain cloud was over CCF. And that's not saying that the rain won't be poured out upon the nation, but I'm just saying the vision was for CCF. And it was a rain cloud, and the Lord, it was not raining yet. But the Lord is going to open up that rain cloud and pour out the rain upon this, this congregation. And it's funny, when I sat down, I sort of Googled it during the week. And I was like, you know, like, what's it, you know, rain, what's it symbolize? And I kept getting different things. And when I sat down, the Lord said rain is rain's in the harvest. Rain symbolizes the harvest. And he will pour out the spirit upon the church. And harvest is coming forth. So I thank you, Lord. Open up the rain cloud and pour out that rain. Thanks, Beck. And from what I understand, there might be more to come on that vision, right? 
as you pursue it. If you haven't checked out the easel, <laughs> if you haven't checked out the easel, you want to do that after church as people come up and draw. Deb's going to share what she was sensing when she came up and drew on this easel. Um, yes, I feel like God is just working, opening up our hearts, and um, He's just filling us up that we are going to overflow. And our light is going to shine so we can bring people in that are lost. And um, I have it on my heart. Like, I'm really, uh, like, for the lost that, that think that they're so far gone that they, they don't know where to turn. And um, this song, I don't know, it's an old song. I don't know if you all remember it, but it was from Don Francisco. It's like, I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who's made your bed. I've already given my life to set you free. There's no sin you can imagine that is greater than my love <laughs> if you all come home to me. You know, and it just, I praise God for that because that is what we need to share with people is just the love that God has for them. Amen. Thanks, Deb. So if God speaks to you as we're gathered here, gives you a vision or gives you something to write or draw on these easels, please act on that. Uh, if there's healing, if you're touched, please let us know during the week. And we want to make sure our congregation hears this, what God is doing. We don't want to keep it hidden. So today could be a very significant day in Columbia Christian Fellowship. We will see. I want to begin with a brief review we're three weeks out, and we're still operating off of that commitment we made to love, to live for, and to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Three weeks ago, we responded to God's invitation to make that commitment, and this is the third week in a row that he's responding to our commitment. Don't underestimate the significance of that Sunday three weeks ago, and today may be just as significant or possibly more so. In response to our commitment, first God gave us a promise, Romans 8:28. I will work out all things together for good. You committed to love, to live for, and to serve me. Now I promise you, nothing can happen in your life that I won't work out for good. Then last week, God gave us a glimpse into what is coming. We've talked about this mighty move, and he pulled back the curtain, and he said, this is what it will look like. There were six Major points, they're written, written on another easel-type medium out there, and you can take a look at that. Things like supernatural miracles, signs and wonders, healings, great joy, awakening, hearts that seemed indifferent and hostile to the Lord, all of a sudden interested. All these things he showed us, he's going to be doing. This is what's coming. Now today, he's going to equip and he's going to empower us to function in these days ahead. He's going to give us what we need to carry this out, to be a part of what he's doing. Because we can't do it in our flesh. And we can't really do it too much where the church, the church, when I'm talking about the church, I mean the church, universal. When I'm talking about us, I'll mention us specifically. The church cannot really function up to speed in this revival where we're at right now. If, if we were a microwave, our power level would not be on high. 
Jess, will you come? Congregation will stand. I thank Jess for agreeing to read today because this is a rather long passage. Yep. We bless you, Jess, as you begin to read. Just like, like Jamal says, take your time. Okay. Calm down, take your time. It's Acts chapter 8, verses. Yep, that's it. Okay, here we go. You're just so cute. Hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with magic. Hmm. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed he was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for those new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon those believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this, this power. Let me have the power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter, jealous, bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Thanks, Jess. That was awesome. That was good. Thank you. You may be seated. So th this, this message today at first look is very paradoxical. It's, the message is about the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but to get to it, we have to talk about sorcery. So it was, it was kind of hidden. It was kind of veiled. It, Lord, what exactly is it that you want to say? How are we going to get there today? But the title is A Man Named Simon. And it comes directly from the first verse, Acts chapter 8, verse 9, which begins with A Man Named Simon. There's seemingly two separate segments to today's message. We need to talk a bit about Simon because that's the context. But we'll close out with a focus on the Holy Spirit, which is the main point, and which is what God wants to do today. A look at Simon. Simon had been a sorcerer for many years in Samaria. I'm not all that familiar with sorcery and that side. But by definition in Scripture... A sorcerer is one who appeals to the occult for power. A sorcerer is one who seeks the occult for information. 
seeks the occult for solutions to present situations, circumstances, seeks the occult especially for direction for the future, fortune-telling, that sort of thing. A sorcerer is one who consults with evil spirits to gain advantage for themselves or for someone else, others. Psychic, in our modern language, psychic is a very related term to sorcery or sorcerer. Also associated with sorcery are terms such as voodoo, witchcraft, divination, magic, enchantment, spells, curses, all of those things that you kind of associate with the dark world. And here's the problem with sorcery. God tells us clearly not to engage these things, but rather to seek the Lord for power, to seek the Lord for provision for our needs, to seek the Lord for his wisdom, to seek the Lord for direction in our lives, to seek the Lord for solutions to situations and circumstances, to seek the Lord for his plans and his purposes for our lives now and future. He holds that information, and he clearly forbids us to seek it from other sources. The church, his people, believers, are to seek it from him. One of the reasons we turn to other sources is because, ouch, we don't really believe he'll show us. And or we're not walking close enough to him to really seek him for these things. So we look towards earthly sources or worse. Scripture clearly forbids dabbling in sorcery or anything having to do with inquiring of the occult, Satan, or demons. So back to the text. At this point in our story, Simon is on the wrong side. But the story takes some very interesting twists and turns as it weaves towards the end. Simon was amazing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great, Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Simon was somebody. By his own and by the citizens of the city's estimation, he was somebody of great importance. He amazed and he astounded the people with his occult practices, with his witchcraft, with his magic. Often when our missionaries get to third world countries out in the, in the, away from the cities, they run into shamans and they run into witch doctors who carry a lot of power, who do things that actually would astound us in the Western world because we believe in education and science. I remember one story. I cannot prove to you it's true but I think, I, I think it's very well substantiated of a missionary who came and spoke to us at the Elizabethtown Church and just casually in the midst of her, her presentation, she said she came up against a witch doctor who turned himself into a leopard. Now we sit there and we say, come on. But I was sitting beside an older retired pastor. I was a very new Christian and it caught my attention. And I just kind of nudged him and I said, Pastor McGarvey, do you think that's true? And he just looked at me like, of course that's true. If you believe that 
God is real and, and angels and the Holy Spirit and supernatural miracles, well, the same book speaks of that power on the other side. And God clearly forbids us not to mess with that. They referred to Simon as the great one, the power of God, which equates to God himself. Simon was impostering. Simon was posing as God himself, or at the very least, God's chosen agent on the earth. Notice the next verse. It begins with B-U-T. But how many times have we seen that in Acts? Now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. There's a new kid in town, Simon. There's a new kid in town that you have to deal with, and his name's Philip. Remember Philip from last week? Revival was breaking out. We have the six characteristics written on the board in the back. Philip was the guy that was God... Philip was the guy God was using in crazy supernatural ways to bring revival to the people of that city. Powerful miracles, signs, and wonders. Philip represents another king. Philip represents another kingdom. Opposite than the one Simon was promoting. Infinitely, now listen to this. The kingdom, the king and the kingdom that, that Philip was promoting is infinitely more powerful than the one Simon served, the one Simon offered the people. Philip represented Jesus, and he promoted the kingdom of God. And as a result, all the people are now flocking from Simon to Philip. God's bringing huge deliverance to that city. A word of application. The occult cannot stand up against the name of Jesus. The occult cannot stand against the name of Jesus. God is greater than the occult. Jesus is more powerful than the occult. Jesus is all-powerful. Think about that. There's a lot about Simon, but I want to fast forward to the end of the story so we can get to the main point, which is the Holy Spirit. There's twists and turns in this story. And I'm just going to paraphrase the text for us. You can read it again. We just read it for us very well, by the way. You can read it again on your own and see what you get. Simon at first seems to also believe, and he's baptized. He seems to become a part of the church. However, his later actions don't seem to agree with his new profession of faith. The apostles arrive on the, on the scene from Jerusalem. They came up to affirm Philip. They came to welcome the Samaritan believers, which is a different culture, a different ethnicity. They came to welcome the Samaritans into the church so there'd be oneness, no schism, no division, into the family of Christ. Simon sees the power of the Holy Spirit on the apostles, and he offers to buy that power from them. Peter... Peter sternly rebukes him. He warns him of the consequences of his behavior. It's unbecoming of a new convert of Christ. Again, read it for yourself. One further thought, though, related to Simon. After the rebuke from Peter, after the warning from Peter, we have this statement from Simon. 
That's why I said this takes twists and turns and can become even a little confusing. Simon responds to Peter and John, pray to the Lord for me that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. What thinkest thou? Commentators are not in agreement if this is true repentance. There is debate if Simon actually ever became a true believer or not. After you read the passage, you will have to decide for yourself. I like to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe we'll see him in heaven. That would be really cool if we do. But maybe not. And I'd love to tell you what happened. And I'd love to tell you more about Simon the days ahead of, of this. The only thing is, Luke doesn't. And the Bible doesn't. So we don't know. You never hear of him again. So Luke doesn't give any more detail on Simon, and neither will I. That's all I want to say about Simon. I want to move on to the new point, the, the, the main point, God's intention for us today. Switching, seemingly switching gears here. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. They prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? even mean. Does this mess with our theology? Come on. Does it mess with our theology? Because see, we understand that believers receive the Holy Spirit when they believe. Believers receive the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Jesus. Believers receive the Holy Spirit when we trust him for salvation, right? So here's a question. Can you be a true believer and not have the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. Romans 8, 9, and then we'll verse 14. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. From this scripture and many others, it is theologically correct to believe that a person receives the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. Those who do not have the Spirit of Christ if he's not in you, if he's not living in you, then you don't belong to Christ. That's the first issue that needs to be settled today. If you're here and you're not sure you belong to Christ, we want to take care of that. So you, you, right now I'd like you to close your eyes. And if there's any uncertainty at all, whether you know Jesus or not, you just pray after me. Lord Jesus, I am not 100% certain I know you, but I want to. Right now, 
to the best of my understanding, I give my life to you, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I put my trust in you. If you'd prayed something along those lines and you meant it and meant it, you now are part of the kingdom of God and the family of Christ. And the Holy Spirit, whether you felt it or not, entered you and took up residence there. It is not possible to be a true believer and not have the Holy Spirit within you. So then what is this text saying? We're going to look at verses 14 and 17 for an answer. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. They prayed for these new believers. Wait a minute. They prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Is that confusing to you? No? Nobody's confused by that? Yes, some people are. There's a couple of keys for understanding this. First, the context of the, of the passage, and then the phrase, come upon. They're both crucial to any understanding of what's going on. In this context, this is referring to the activity of the Holy Spirit rather than the person of the Holy Spirit. Or we could say the operation of the Holy Spirit. Or better yet, we could say the empowering or anointing of the Holy Spirit upon believers for kingdom service. That's what was missing. Not salvation. So now another question. Can a person be a true believer and not be indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Answer is no. Can a person be a true believer and not be empowered and anointed for kingdom service for witness by the Holy Spirit? Answer is yes. You, you, get, you, you, you get where this is going. Much of the church today lacks the supernatural empowerment and anointing of the Holy Spirit for effective kingdom service. And it's to our hurt. That is why evil has been able to become so entrenched and so emboldened in our nation. We don't really have the power to fight it. Am I saying we're not saved and we don't have the Holy Spirit? No. We've put our trust and our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells us. Am I saying we're not empowered and anointed for effective kingdom service that pushes back the darkness and the darkness cannot stand against it? Yes, I am. What broke the evil hold over Simon and over that city? It was the powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit brought by Philip and then the apostles. The powerful signs, wonders, and miracles that Philip did through the Holy Spirit. The word come upon, so crucial. It means to rest upon. It's an external sense rather than an internal sense. It's an action that produces a result. The phrase could actually be trans translated, the Holy Spirit was not yet on any of them. 
or the Holy Spirit was versus the Holy Spirit was not yet in any of them. The Holy Spirit was in them because they had put their faith in Christ through Peter's message. The Holy Spirit was not on them yet. You can't be a true believer and have the Holy Spirit in you, but you can be a true believer and not have the Holy Spirit on you. It's an action that produces a result. And in this context, the action is the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, and the result is going to be powerful, effective kingdom service and witness. Like Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, what? Comes on you or upon you. And then you will be my effective witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This isn't the only place. We'll see again in Acts where folks became believers and put their trust in Jesus, but they didn't have the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. That had to be brought to them, and they had to understand that. This describes what's happening in our text. It's very similar to what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Isn't it enough to just have the Holy Spirit in us, Pastor? For salvation, yes it is. For powerful, effective kingdom service, no it's not. Are you getting this? Making sense? Also an interesting note. There is no denying that there were physical manifestations in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Pentecost. Wind, fire, tongues, things that could be seen, things that could be sensed, things that could be experienced. And there are physical manifestations, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit here in our text as well. We actually need to go back to Simon for a moment to validate this point. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. He saw something. It was visible. It was tangible. That's what we're lacking in the church today. We don't really have anything to show people. There's healing in Jesus' name. Two weeks later, oh, you're, you're still sick? I'm just talking from my own point of confusion. I'm not trying to talk down or be critical. Something was seen in these cases, in these incidents. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, there was no mistaking it. You knew it. You saw it. God was real. And that's so important. God was manifesting himself to human beings to draw them to himself. The emphasis in this passage is on the word saw, S-A-W, meaning to be seen with the physical eyes in real time. Not a dream, not a vision. Something is seen. It's experienced by the senses. Just as at Pentecost, there were visible, physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit coming upon those believers. 
led the powerful kingdom service. Peter preached one sermon, 3,000 people were saved. See, that's the difference between walking in the power and anointing of the Spirit upon you and walking in the salvation of the Spirit in you. We have done well in the church up to this point, walking in the spirit of salvation within us. And he has been drawing us and drawing us closer to himself. And I think he drew us here to this day because he's saying, we're going to go a step deeper. Anybody who's willing and has a heart, a hungry heart, we're going to go a step deeper for these days ahead. And it's really not optional. It is an invitation. You can respond or not. But it's not optional if you want to function effectively in what is coming. Does that make sense? What we've had up to this point probably will not cut it in the days ahead. God has to take us to a new level. A new level of experience with him. This is all new for me as well. We're walking in this together. We're learning together. All I try to do, my role, is to hear what God's saying and present it to you. What happened at Pentecost, maybe not the exact same manifestations. And so I've been telling people who knew what today's message was about, that I was coming in here fully expecting, but without expectation. Meaning, I'm not saying, well, God, you're going to do this, or, or God, you have to do that, or, or God, it's going to look like this, because I don't know what it's going to look like, but I came in fully expecting that God is going to do something, and we're going to experience it in here. What's happening here in our chapter, is this, in chapter 8, is the same as chapter 2. There were visible Physical, tangible manifestations of God at work. It was an experience. We've said so many times in here, we know God intellectually, and that's good. We know God through faith, and that's better. But we don't know God very much through experience in the church today. We haven't really experienced much of God. There's so much more we could say. I, I just want to move to, to the end. Like, why did the apostles come and play a role? Well, they wanted to ensure the unity between these two ethnically diverse congregations. So they came to affirm Philip so that the Samaritans didn't think they were better than Jerusalem or Jerusalem think they were better than Samaria. The apostles came, extended their hands. That's like a right hand of fellowship. Now we're all one body of Christ. Here's a question, though. Why is this verse on the Holy Spirit tucked in the midst of a story about a sorcerer. I found that extremely interesting. Why do you have, did we have to go through all that other stuff to get to this? And the answer is because it demonstrates the greater power of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness. That's why it's tucked in there. The kingdom of darkness was reigning in Samaria. Philip came with the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit came, and the kingdom of darkness was broken. And that's why it's tucked in the middle of a story on a, on a sorcerer. 
But for now, we've covered all we need to know in order for God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So let's move to the application. It's an order call. It's an invitation and it's an opportunity to receive anew the fullness of the Holy Spirit. To be empowered and anointed for kingdom service and witness. As said, this could be every bit as significant for us today as three weeks ago, possibly more. So here's some instructions. Nudge your neighbor, pay attention. You don't want to miss the instruction. You tell somebody to pay attention. At my call, the elders will come first. Line yourselves up in single file right down this center aisle. And then I will pray over each elder. And as a, when I'm finished praying over you, or actually declaring over you, you just come up and take a position up here till we have our four teams of two. Then again at my call, the congregation, the congregation, including myself, will come forward to one of these elder teams and they will pray over us. This is a very specific invitation. It's an invitation to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit's empowerment and anointing for service in the days ahead. Everybody got that? This has a very specific intention from God. He wants us to come and receive the fullness of his Holy Spirit. This is necessary for the church to function at the needed level in this coming move of God. Today brings us one step closer. God has been, we've kind of been waiting for God to do it out there. And God's been waiting for us to come to the place where he can do it through us out there. And this is one step closer. God didn't bring revival to Samaria on his own. He took Philip there. And then he brought the apostles there. He always works through the church. He always works through believers. It's, it's through us. We pray and hope he'll do it out there and we'll see the results. And he's waiting for us to be willing and give ourselves to him so he can use us to do it out there. Hearing that? Remember, God is offering this to us today. God himself is offering this to us today. Because of the commitment we made to love him, to live for him, and to serve him wholeheartedly, don't take this lightly. This is a high privilege from God to a group of believers who don't deserve it, who are not worthy of it. But it's a high privilege from God to a group of believers whom he loves deeply and in whom he is greatly pleased. And he's offering us himself now in the fullness of his Holy Spirit to move forward. Don't worry about being perfect. You're never going to be perfect. That's why we have so many, sorry, Dawn, to burst that bubble. Don't worry about being perfect. That's why we have so many verses on confessing your sins, receiving forgiveness, making things right. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to present yourself to him as you are right now. So, does everybody understand the instructions? Elders, start your engines. You're going to move out in about two seconds. And after you, the congregation. So Ron's going to play some music. There will be lyrics. We can sing while you're waiting your turn. It's an invitation. It's not mandatory. You do not have to come. You are welcome to bring your children. If you feel that's fitting, bring them up here as a family. 
Just whatever God leads as we move into this closing application. And once we're done the praying, please don't rush out because Jamie will have something to say to us at the very end. Ron, begin the music. Softly. Elders, those who are coming, get up here. Okay, so we're at the point in the service where we want to do our uh, declaration of healing prayer. So if, if there's any of you out there that would like uh, to receive the declaration of healing prayer, it comes in many forms, whatever your need is, that's what it is. Uh, so if there's any of you out there that, that want to receive this, please stand, and then the remainder of the congregation can sit and stretch forth your hands uh, and join us in prayer as we do this. So we'll give, we'll give everybody a minute here to get into their seats and then we'll move ahead. So basically what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna read the scripture from Acts, verse 30, Acts 4.30. Let's stretch forth our hands uh, as we declare this verse in the name of Jesus, okay? Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the, the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I'm going to read 31, and after this, because this is going to happen someday, after this... The meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the good word of God with boldness. So we're all sh we've all been filled with the Holy Spirit today. One of these days, this place is going to shake. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.